At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Amen. Thank you, Kate and Eric, for for leading us in that. Thank you for church church family for singing truths that we need to hear. Uh, We need to hear that there are storms, there are fires, there's famines, there are all types of heartaches in life. Uh, But we still have a God who reigns throughout it all, and we can praise him. A week from tomorrow is Memorial Day. It's It's a day that our nation has set aside to admit that all is not right, that people have died defending our freedoms, that we have threats all around us. And going into this season, we felt as a church and church leaders that it would be good for us to just gather together for a few weeks and admit that. That life is hard. That life hurts. And we've all got things that are unreconciled. That we would gather together and proclaim a, a, a means of communication that God has provided for us. And we're going to study together the book of Lamentations. And if you, I, I want to give you about 20 minutes to find that in your Bibles. <laughs> Ready, set, go. It's in the Old Testament, kind of sort of halfway through, but not. So I hope that helps. But let's begin with this question. What place does grief have in the life of a Christian? To the people who have been told, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it. What is it? Rejoice. I'm telling you twice. Rejoice always. The same apostle instructed us, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. We've been told that evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. But then something happens to us and we think, that just doesn't feel right. I'm not sure I can find a way to rejoice and give thanks. Or maybe we could say, well, okay, I can give thanks in something. I'm not sure I can give thanks for everything. Because some things just seem so wrong. So what do we do with that? We need to admit, church family, that it was our Savior who said, blessed are they who mourn. That the same apostle who wrote, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He said, so be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It doesn't, sound like, it doesn't sound like evangelical Christianity, does it? Maybe you say, well, I don't think Woodside's supposed to be saying that. Are we? I mean, to say, so be wretched and mourn. If you're laughing, stop it. And weep. Oh. But then something happens to us, and, if you, and, we, and we sense, yep. But now I know what that means. That I this. The time for laughing 
is past. There's an article from last summer, okay? This is last summer, July of 2020. The New York Times included this phrase in one of the articles. Consider how much has happened already, how much we've lost, and how much more we're likely to lose. The lives that have been taken by the virus. Many lives currently in jeopardy. Exponentially more people falling ill every day. The lost livelihoods, the blasted plans, upended routines, postponed weddings and funerals, depleting, depleted savings, failed businesses, isolation from loved ones. We know we could add to that list disrupt, disrupted school plans, sports programs, vacations, graduations, church ministries. But like Eric said, this isn't our first hard year. I mean, before that, there have been hardship too. You don't blame it all on the virus. Some of you have been fired, abused, been mistreated, lied against. We've had sickness and storms. There's been suicide. We've gone to funerals and court hearings and candlelight vigils. And we have to come to a place where we just have to admit we are grieving people. So we want, we want to spend some time admitting that reality, but not just to say, yeah, we're sad too. Because I believe for the life of a Christian, our grief is, is different. To grieve is human. But to lament is Christian. It's godly. There's a difference between grief and lamenting, and yet lamenting involves grieving. This morning we're going to start a new series called Good Morning. It's based out of the book of Lamentations. How many have found Lamentations in your Bible? Raise your hand with great spiritual pride. <laughs> you found it. Some of you are like, oh yeah, you just type in L-A-M and it pops up and there it is. We got it. This is a, a tiny little book, probably too neglected, too infrequently taught on because we wonder, okay, what does that have to do with today? Maybe this is just for other people. Is it really for us? But you'll find that there is a way as Lamentations describes, there's a way for us to grieve and mourn that helps us grow and hope and be refreshed. There is a way for us to lament. This, this book of Lamentations um, takes us back to Jerusalem at about 587 B.C. To, if you look in your history books, you will find this incredible event when the Babylonian Empire seizes Jerusalem and overcomes the nation once and for all. Nebuchadnezzar was the emperor and he invaded and destroyed and carried off the people into exile. This would have made our Pearl Harbor or our 9-11 kind of feel like a common cold. We look back to those days, it'll go down in infamy as, as being so horrendous. 
It was just a fraction of what the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, would have experienced, what they would have felt. This, this was an event that would mark them as a people for the rest of their existence, even today. Tens of thousands were killed. All but the poorest of the poor were marched 900 miles from the region of Judah to Babylon. Would have taken about four to six months to march all that distance to live for the next 70 years away from their homeland. They would lose their sovereignty as a nation. In the years preceding this event, Jeremiah was one of the prophets that would write about the warnings that this was coming. This would be an, this would be an, an event of God's judgment. And he wrote to them, he spoke to them in very creative and very graphic means to try to get the people and the king's attention that if they didn't repent, God's judgment was coming. But they didn't repent, so God's judgment came. And then as Jeremiah looked at the landscape of the whole city in ruins, he penned five poems that have been compiled into a book part of the canon of scripture called the book of lamentations or the book of lament as jeremiah writes with graphic description what he sees and what he feels and what the nation feels as they see such destruction lament means a passionate expression of grief or sorrow or as we see as we look at this book, the lament is a prayer of pain that leads to trust. It's a conversation with God about difficulties we are facing. And I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us a way to grieve because we've all had times where we've had to admit there's pain and there's heartache and there's difficulty and it just doesn't seem right. We're going to study this book together. Hopefully you know this book better than what than you've known it ever before through our series. In fact, there's a, there's a simple tool that we're making available for 10 of you because I could only find 10 copies. It's, it's on that table right in the back. Um, there's 10 copies of a journal that has the book of Lamentations and the five poems in it. So half of the page is the poem. The other half is blank space for you to read through this over the next five weeks and journal your thoughts and observations. Maybe it's a way for you to take those notes from a sermon as you're processing. Maybe as you read through it on your own, you can use that as a way to, to enter into a season of lament yourself. Because our hope is that this study of lamentations is not just an academic study but that you'll have a better means of lamenting when you experience things that just aren't right. So chapter one, the first poem. We're going to see that lament allows us to honestly ask God the hard questions. As we see Things like death and poverty and abuse and crime and genocide and racism and 
natural disasters and war, all these destructive realities of life, that God has given his people a means to deal with these realities. And part of that is asking God the hard questions. How many believe that God is able to handle your questions? You believe that? Is he big enough to handle your accusations? Do you believe that? Can he stand strong? Is he going to tremble and quake if you, if you question his decisions? No. In fact, as you see the lament of Scripture, hopefully you'll be assured that God's love never fails. His faithfulness to you won't be affected by your honest wrestling with things that aren't right. So chapter 1, three hard questions. We see it begin in this first poem with the question, how in the world could this happen? Or, can we be a little more honest? God, how, would you, how did you let this happen? You ever had that question? God, how did you let this happen? If you're all-powerful... If you can do anything, then why would be something so cruel and heartless occur? So, let's, let's see what he says. Lamentations 1. By the way, before I, before I read this, those of you that have the printed copy of the, of the Bible in front of you, would you just look at that chapter and tell me how many verses are in this chapter? Chapter 1? Somebody shout it out. You get a prize. 22, all right, you get a free blank piece of paper. I left them right out here in the after service. You grab one of those. That's for you. Thank you. Go to chapter 2, those of you that printed the Bible. How many verses in chapter 2? 22. 22, thank you. Paper for you, Tessa. Thank you. Uh, chapter 3, how many verses? 66, huh? Is that a multiplier of 22? Is that how you say it, multiplier? I don't know, whatever you call those. Yeah, okay, chapter 4, 22, chapter 5, 22, very interesting structure of the book of Lamentations. Each chapter, at least chapter 1 and 2 and 4 and 5, are 22 verses. There's 22 letters to the alphabet in Hebrew. So this is what we would call an acrostic poem or an alphabetical poem in chapters 1 and 2 and chapter 4. Five, there it is. Uh, each first word of each verse is uh, a subsequent letter. It starts with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter three is a little different than that, and we'll get to that. We're not in chapter three yet. We'll explain what that means when we get there. The poem begins with the word "how." How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. Notice this whole poem is personifying the city of Jerusalem as a grieving woman. How like a widow she has become. She who is great among the nations. She who is a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of the affliction and the hard servitude. 
She now dwells among the nations, finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. How lonely. How like a widow she has become. Do you ever ask God that question? God, how did this happen? You'll notice chapter 2 begins with that same word. How did this happen? How has the Lord in his anger set the daughter of Zion on a cloud? That word how doesn't really capture in our English the emotion. One of the English translations uses the word alas or why. Jeremiah is aghast with all the destruction in the city of Jerusalem. As he looks around to the city that should be full of people, it's what it was just a few months ago, and now it's, now it's empty. Once it was a great nation, like a princess. Now she's like a slave who's beaten and abused and rejected. Formerly surrounded by friends, the poem says, now she's alone she has none to comfort her. Jeremiah is describing the people that God once said, you will be my people and I will be your God. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And now God has rejected them and allowed this destruction to come. So Jeremiah asks, how did this happen. Through you, the nations of the world will be blessed, and the reality that I'm seeing is here, the nations of the world have caused us to sit in rubble. I don't know if we can really capture that image. Recent news reports gives you a glimpse of that. Some pictures on the screen are some recent rubble that has occurred from bombings and explosion. These three pictures capture a bit of what Jeremiah would have been observing as he looked over the landscape of once a once proud, prosperous region, and now it sits in rubble, and he says, how could this have happened? Lament is the way God has given to us, the means God has given to us, to bring him the hard questions. Instead of bottling up our bitterness and our hurt and pain and coming to church and saying, praise God, everything's fine. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Praise God. To, to admit that I just lost my very dear friend. I just served divorce papers. Suicide hit close to home. Just lost my job. My life is in ruins. And I can't, I can't see anything that I did to cause it. And how could God let this happen? The Christian faith is not a plastic smile. It's not forced optimism that sings everything is awesome it's not how that goes for the life of a true follower of jesus 
She grieves and cries real tears and declares that things in this world are not as they should be. Things are not what God designed, and they hurt. We see that in the book of Lamentations as the author, the prophet of God says, Oh Lord, how did this happen? Lament allows those hard questions. It allows the hard questions that we see beginning in verse 4. The question of, and what did I do to deserve this? Verse 4 says, The road to Zion mourn, for none come to the festival. All her gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her virgins have been affected. She herself suffers bitterly. Her foes have become the head. Her enemies prosper. Get this. Because the Lord has afflicted her. Whoa, here's the prophet saying this is God's fault. Wait, hold it. The Lord has afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From the daughter of Zion, all her majesty has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers in the days of her affliction and wandering all the precious things that were hers from days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe, there was none to help. Her foes gloated over her. They mocked at her downfall. Verse 8, don't miss this. Jerusalem sinned grievously. Therefore, she became filthy. All who honor her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Therefore, her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. So Jeremiah observes this destruction. He sees the enemies victorious, the glory stripped away, and the woman, the city, publicly humiliated, shamed, and abused. And the poet asks, how did this happen? But then, as he asks that question and ponders that, he realizes that the fall of Jerusalem was the result of a multitude of her transgressions. She had sinned grievously. The story of the nation of Judah is so intriguing. You remember King David, right? What a great king he was. He ruled after God's own heart. He had a son named Solomon. Solomon built this glorious temple to the Lord. Solomon begs God for wisdom to rule his people because he knew he didn't have it in and of himself. So God honors him with great wisdom and riches and peace in his kingdom. And he gives to Solomon these amazing words. He says, if you follow me, then I will honor you. I will provide and protect. I will treasure your people and your land. But if you turn away from me, he says in 1 Kings 9, he says, if you turn away from me and go after other gods, then I will cut off Israel from the land I've given them. The house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, why has the Lord done this to this land? And they will say, it's because they abandoned the Lord their God. 
Jeremiah, as he's looking at the ruins, he's realizing that this is the consequence of sin. This is the consequence of turning away from God. So as we're mourning things that aren't right, part of lament is also mourning that the rebellion and sin of humanity lies at the root of all that brokenness. Listen carefully. Please know that the Bible does not teach, nor whatever I ever teach, that every terrible act is a direct result of a personal sin. There's some that would try to convince you of that. If something bad happened, then so you have, must have done a bad thing to deserve this bad thing. Karma or whatever, that is not the teaching of Scripture. Here's Jeremiah writing this and saying, this is horrendous, but Jeremiah was the one faithful person. So Jeremiah is not saying that, so I must have done something to deserve this, but Jeremiah is saying that the brokenness I am seeing is a result of our nation and our people who have walked away from God. Lament for a Christian honestly brings us to that reality, as Romans 1 teaches us, that humanity has refused to acknowledge God as God, so he has given them over to a hardened heart. So their heart pursues all types of lusts, which brings about all types of brokenness. That all the destruction that we see in our world, the things that hit way too close to home or hit home, the broken relationships and the taken lives much too young, the miscarriages and the murders, all these things, we can trace them back to this reality that God created a world of perfection. And he created a garden in the midst of her and he placed his image bearers there so that they could experience all the bounty of God. And said, I will bless you and care for you and provide for you. You will have none of this heartache and pain come to you. If you follow me and find everything you need in me, just don't eat from this one tree because if you do, then hardship, death, will happen. And that's exactly what occurred. And thus the world gets in this continually spiraling chaos where there's all type of heartache and pain and as we mourn and as we ask God the hard questions, God, why is this happening? We can also come to the conclusion that the part of the reason this is happening is because of sin and rebellion and disregard of other people and not living according to the ways of the kingdom, but living according to the ways of selfish heart. Tragedies are not a time to assign guilt to victims. We'll never be caught into that. Yet it is time for us to examine and see brokenness as an opportunity to repent 
of any brokenness that we have in our life. We too are sinners. We too are contributors to pain. For the Christian, when you encounter heartache, we have to come to that point when we're coming to God, but we come humbly and we admit that, God, I may not have caused that pain, but that pain is reminding me that I do have sin that has caused some pain. When I traveled through the streets here several years ago in 2008, the streets of the capital city of Liberia, where three of our guys are, are headed this week, and I saw a nation that was, that was just coming out of a decades-long civil war, and I saw such heartache and continued animosity to one another. And I saw infrastructure completely stripped away. I saw starvation wherever we looked. When on an on a evening, we took a trip to the city, to the town, to where the community soccer field was, and we watched the amputee soccer league. Not just a game, but a soccer league that was formed for the amputees from the war. Hundreds of young men, missing hands, arms, legs, faces, and bodies disfigured as they're trying to overcome the hatred of one another by, by a friendly sport of football, soccer. When I saw such heartache there, and such brokenness and realizing that anger and hatred and pride had caused all of these scars... I had to face that reality of that I get angry and proud and I tend to wish for the downfall of people that are opposing me. I may not have caused that dismemberment, but I caused something. We visited a war memorial in Kiev, Ukraine that was erected to honor the 10 million Ukrainians that were starved in 1933 by Stalin and his abusive and horrendous practices. I had to come to that recognition as I grieved over 10 million Ukrainians. There's one little nation, the breadbasket of Europe, obliterated in the Soviet Union. I had to realize I, I caused that similar pain. Maybe not, maybe not that, but I'm part of the brokenness in this world. Lament causes us to answer that sin has impacted and broken everything in this world because humans have turned away from their creator. But lament doesn't stop there. It goes there. It just doesn't stop there. Lament asked God the question, God, are you seeing this? Have you, have you ever honestly asked God that question? God, are you, are you even looking? Look at verse 9. End of verse 9 says, O Lord, behold my affliction. In other words, God, look. 
Because the enemy has triumphed. The enemy has stretched out his hands over all the precious things, for she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you forebode to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their trespasses for food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, look and see, for I'm despised. With a shocking description of violation and abuse. If we were to press into what some of these phrases even mean, we'd become embarrassed. But the city cries out, Lord, look at the abuse that's happening to me. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I see just gross abuse of people, whether it's on a TV show or a movie or whatever, I just, I just turn away. I don't even want to look at that. And sometimes we kind of put that on God. Well, maybe God's doing that here when this is happening. God's saying, oh, I don't even want to look at that. Let's go, let's go deal with a, maybe a church that needs a renovation. Let's give them some stuff so they can build out a building. And, and, and we want to say, no, God, God, no, over here. It's a mess. It's hurting. This is painful. This shouldn't have happened. God, do you see this? We're desperate for you to heal and restore and bring justice, and bring close to our anguish. But here's the truth. God never looks away. God doesn't look away from the sickness and the sin and the brokenness of our world and the brokenness that hits your life. God doesn't look away. Do you know how I know that? Because God did look away one time. God looked away when he was accomplishing a plan that would stop all this. Because that's the cool thing we have as we read the book of Lamentations. As a follower of Jesus, we can look ahead to, to God's continued revelation in Scripture. We can get to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we can see Jesus, God's one and only Son, coming to the world, not to condemn the world, but the, so that the world through him might be saved. Where God was so, he was so grieved at the brokenness of his world, he said, this will not continue forever. These are my people. So I'm sending my son to, to this broken world who would carry all our griefs and sorrows on his shoulders and he would go to the cross and die in payment for all of that sin and brokenness. And when all of our sin was placed on Jesus, God looked away. And Jesus says, Father, why are you, why are you forsaking me? And Jesus gave up the ghost and died. And his body was buried as he paid the price for all the brokenness in our world. But the Father demonstrated his power over all this brokenness and raised Jesus from the dead and now has highly exalted him. And he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for his grieving children. His resurrection proved that God doesn't look away, nor are these aspects of brokenness forever. They will have an end, just as Jesus' death had an end. 
as Jesus rose from the dead as the first fruits for our salvation. The cross tells us that God is grieved at the brokenness in the world. The empty tomb tells us that God has conquered the brokenness in the tomb. That yes, these things that just seemed way too frequent, it has an end. We're just caught in this place between the resurrection and the return. We're caught in this time space where the world is still expressing brokenness, even though it's been conquered, even though it has a time limit, we're still in this season where God is patient, waiting for more people to turn to him. Where God is redeeming the brokenness of the world to draw people's attention to him, to say, if your hope is in this world, you are most hopeless. So turn to me because I am the only one where you can find hope in your sorrow. That's why Paul is able to write, so we sorrow, but not like those that have no hope. We grieve, we lament, we mourn. We even ask God the hard questions because this doesn't answer everything. But we know one day the final answer will come and he will make all things right. But church family, can, can we just admit together before God that there are things that grieve us? And I don't know what God brought to your mind and heart as, just as we've begun this series. Maybe it is the, the suffering people in other lands that as you watch the news, you just ask yourself the question, God, why do you keep allowing this? Maybe it's when you look at the local news and, and you see the, the sweet lady from Casco that hasn't been found after almost four weeks now. And we think, God, are you looking? Maybe it's the, the news of another young life that for some reason came to that point where they thought it's not worth living. And so they ended it. Maybe that's what grief God brings to you. Maybe it's a friend that was just served papers and you realize that their hearts are just hurting so deep. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're grieving the condition of this world. I, I, there's so much that's not right in our world. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I want to give us a chance to just admit to God that there are burdens on our heart. There's things that aren't right and we don't understand it. We don't have all the answers that, that we want to admit to God that we see things that aren't all tied up with a bow. And we say, see things that aren't reconciled. There's even things that even as we talk about how the death and resurrection of Jesus kind of solves all this, there's still things that just don't fully make sense to us. I want to give you permission to just say that to God. I hope you'll do that on your own personal time, but maybe we can even do this while we're here. I, I placed a table right in the middle. It's not a very pretty table. It's just, it does have those blank pieces of paper and a whole bunch of pens. And I put a box up here that's just an old 
factory box. But maybe God can use something simple like this to give us a means to just say to God this as I write on this paper, maybe this one word or maybe this sentence that I write, this ticks me off. And God, if you're all-powerful and all-knowing, I don't understand why this still is here. Maybe you can write that down and then, and then just put it in that box. Maybe, maybe you've got enough emotion that you admit to God that you just crinkle that up and throw that in that box and say, okay, God, I'm just going to say, I don't get it. I don't fully understand it. But this, I, I'm asking you, God, to look. God, I'm asking you to look at this situation because it's not right. I'm asking you, God, to give me hope in this situation because as I look at it, Lord, I feel so hopeless. And so I'm just going to give that to you. Just believing somehow that you are a God of hope when it feels hopeless. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand, and the band will begin to lead us in a song, a song that kind of points us to Jesus' return when he makes it all right. But as we sing, maybe you just want to come out, you want to take one of those pieces of paper and write down whatever, and just just throw it in the box and say, God, this is, this is for you. I don't think you're going to turn your eyes away from me because I'm being honest with you. I'm just saying, God, I'm grieved over this. Father, we just pray over this time. I pray that as your people admit honestly to you, Lord, that you would, you would just draw close to them, that you would grant to us a sense of relief as we hand this to you. Give us a sense of greater confidence in you, Lord, even though things don't look good, they don't look right from our perspective. So we give you our hearts as we seek to honestly respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.